Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Please be advised that Gen X This Is Why contains adult language. She's in front of a burned-down house, leaning over her dad's body like, red flag, Bobby, red flag. Hi, and welcome to Gen X This Is Why, the podcast where we re-examine the sometimes bizarre and often scarring media from our shared childhood. My name is Amy, and I'm a proud Gen Xer born in 1977. And I'm her sister, Jenny, born in 1974. Good morning, Jen. <clears throat> wow. It's allergy season. It is allergy season, guys. Um, if you're a longtime listener, you'll know every pretty much season change, I go through it. And Jenny only goes through it, what, in the spring? I have the tree allergies, so okay. right now, it's, it's May 7th. This is like the, May is the worst of it. I have tree, and I have a grass allergy, which might explain my fear of grass when I was a child. No, it doesn't. Tree, grass, mold. What else do I have? Dust? I have tree and cats. <laughs> cats are a big one for me, too. Yeah. So as long as I'm not around cats, I'm okay. Um, so today, Jenny, I've been noticing that I haven't been loud enough in our episodes. Do you think I need to turn which myself way up? Which is super ironic, which is super ironic. <laughs> Jenny, I want to start just by shouting out, we got... We got a bunch of new reviews. A lot of them are just five stars, no words. That's fine. We'll take it. Thank you very much. No words. But some, they have no words. They have no words. But some people did write some stuff, so I want to thank those people. It's Bobcat101101, something like that. Maybe that's binary for something. Yep. And then Read Girl to You. So thank you guys both for leaving your reviews. If you want to leave us a five-star review, we really appreciate it. You could just say something like, Hot Charles Forever, We Love Paw shirtless paws the best any words of um those sound like reviews for little house on the prairie you know for our podcast <laughs> any words of that agree with my stance on paw i'll take mm-hmm. i don't know i'm seeing a lot of mention of the index cards in those reviews i am too i don't know what's happening is there a way i can flag a review <laughs> don't do that <laughs> All right, guys, so today we are looking at Little House on the Prairie, Season 4, Episode 17, The Poorly Named, Poorly Written, Be My Friend. Jen? Written written by your man, Michael Landon. I know, I know. I have to talk to him. After finding a number of bottles containing messages and a photograph from a mysterious girl, Laura finds an abandoned baby. Laura takes the child in and cares for it as if it were her own, not knowing it belongs to a timid young woman with an abusive father. I have a lot of thoughts on the structure of this episode, which I'll get into in a little bit. Can't wait for that. Yeah. All right, Jim, we open on a creepy barn. But it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's house. a house. But it looked like yeah. a barn. I don't know. I'm going to call it murder cabin. Okay. Because it is exactly the type of cabin you would see in a murder movie. You would get murdered mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a single lantern in a fireplace. We hear a woman, Anna. She's She's like in labor. Yes. Yeah. She's complete. At first, I didn't know where they were going with this. I didn't know what she was doing up there because she was like moaning and she was kind of by herself and it was dark. I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, wow, progressive little house. Yeah, right. She's completely alone and begging God for help. And she tells God not to be angry with her or what she did or her baby. So there's a real uplifting tone to the beginning of this. This is already super dark. Mm -hmm. We already have the music cueing us that this is something bad has happened. Enter the father, and we know it's it's a rando father on Little House, so 90% chance that he's abusive or weird. 
He looks super familiar. I thought he was like, oh, you know who he played? I, l- I did look this up. He is the president. He's played the president in a lot of movies. He was the president in Clear, Clear and Present Danger with Harrison Ford. I never saw that. He, yeah, that's what I remembered him hmm. from. Okay, so we see your father come in. He's a nut job, Jen. He's nuts. She says she wasn't expecting him. And at first, my first instinct here was I wrote, it appears he doesn't know she's pregnant. He doesn't. But then he says something about her having the seed of the demon in her or something. So I thought, oh, maybe he does know. No, I don't think so. But then at the end of the episode, she reveals she never told him. So she is in, I got to give this girl props, in labor, (laughs) cooking dinner for her family, pretending to not be in labor. How would that go? Would that be easy to do, man? No, that would not be easy to do. And this is just <laughs> the testament to women of this age just being fucking rock stars, man. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay, so the dad is praying some old testament. And he, Jen, he's got like some Miss Peel shit going on here. Yeah, this is very Whisper Country. He could be a good date for Miss Peel. Oh, God. They would be, they would end the world, I feel like. They would end the world. It's like, you know how when two, I'm going to use math here, two negatives meet and make a positive? What would the opposite of that be? Two positives meeting and making a negative? (laughs) I feel like these two meeting would make some kind of. I just, I just have, is he blind? Like, that's a real question. Like, she has, I thought maybe he was, she has like, why is she in a nightgown the whole show? She has to be. Is, is that a nightgown? No, I think it's a raggy dress. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So it's like the more puritanical version of the Ingalls dresses because it's not cinched at yes. the waist. Is that yes. the deal? Yep. So wow. the father saying his she is her mother's daughter and is afflicted with the same evil. That's what I think he means when he's talking about the demon seed. Like this gets all like Maleficarum, like Salem witch trial it's stuff. fucked up, man. They have this weird, veiled conversation about, quote, him and how she wants to be with him and marry him. And he says, the mother married me. Your mother married me and stealed off into the night with another guy. Gee, I wonder why. So this guy is jilted. Like, why would, what is this mother's brain? Like, why would she leave this girl Why would she leave the kid? Take the kid with you. Take the kid. I mean, I'm all about escaping. Take the kid. Mm -hmm. Anna has some more contractions, and the father starts praying, and I thought he said the baby is a demon and can hear him. And that's why I think he thinks she's possessed. Oh, okay. All right. So Anna then heads outside of the murder cabin, and she fakes that she's getting water from the creek, but really she runs out into, like, a little makeshift makeshift birthing house. Like a soddy, like a little... Yeah. That is on the edge of the creek. And I'm like, why is she doing that? Oh, because it's more welcoming environment than the one inside. <laughs> and she's just going to run outside and pop out this kid. And it's important to know that it's like storming and shit. And the minute the storm she gives, was a little melodramatic. It was super melodramatic. And the minute she's done with that, like the minute she gives birth, the sun comes out. Of course. Of course. Little heavy handed there, Michael Land. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, she comes back hours later. She's not pregnant anymore. And I wrote, wow, she gave birth in a tent outside only hours ago and literally has no side effects. Like, just walking back in. Like, I feel like you were laid up for, like, two years. Well, first of all, I had a C-section, <laughs> so my recovery was not. And then I had twin infants. So, yeah, I feel like I was laid up for five years. All right, so she comes back in. She's just like, oh, let me make your... And then the father's like, what's going on? And she's like, our problem is gone now. It's all gone. Lord, I'm like, what did she do? Okay. Now, we could have gone from this part to them finding the baby. We did not need everything I'm about to talk about. Okay. Okay. Cut to a message in a bottle floating downstream. I have an index card. Okay. Who started sending messages in a bottle? The earliest known message in a bottle was sent by the Greek philosopher Theophrastus, one of Aristotle's pupils, as a way of testing his hypothesis that the 
Atlantic Ocean flows into the Mediterranean. That was in 310 BC. Oh, that's interesting. That's a pretty good way to do it. In 1500s, Queen Elizabeth I, who is my favorite British monarch, appoints a royal uncorker of ocean bottles. Ooh. And makes the unauthorized opening of an ocean bottle a capital crime. Wow. I would love to know what... What, what thing caused that? this? Yeah, like obviously something <laughs> happened. In 1846, the U.S. Coast and Geodetic Society began releasing messages and in bottles into the ocean en masse to gather data on ocean currents. In 1913, a message in a bottle that reads, From the Titanic, goodbye all, washes ashore in Ireland. Is that real? Yeah. I saw that in the Titanic exhibit uh. that me and mom went to. Because we like uplifting things. I know. You're always talking about the Titanic exhibit that I missed. You missed it. It was so good. I was probably in, sick. In 1915, as the ocean liner Lusitania is sinking after being torpedoed by a German U-boat, one passenger has time to pen this message. Still on deck with a few people. The last boats have left. We are sinking fast. The end is near. Maybe this note will. Then it just ended there. And he had time to stuff it in a bottle and well, cork yeah, it. Yeah, he probably had to figure that out. Like. Wow. He probably managed his time so that that happens. Okay. Um, let me skip ahead. Yeah, please do. Skip to the end. Um, after being abandoned at sea off the, off the coast of Costa Rica, 88 South American refugees are res- rescued when a fish- fishing vessel receives their plea for help in a bottle. That was in 2005. Okay, can I give some probably wrong facts here? Sure. Okay. I think Mimi's come at me to correct me for this, but I'm pretty sure that when JFK's pontoon boat got bombed or whatever hit when he was in the war and he was on an island with his crew, that he did something similar to save them. He he got a message out somehow. I don't think he used a bottle. I think he used, he smuggled a message in a coconut or something, PT-109. You got to look up the story. I feel like if JFK sent a message in a bottle, it would be on this list. This is the New Yorker Magazine.com. Hold on. I'm going to pause in the middle of uh, your... <laughs> no, my index card is over. Official index end card. to the index card. All right, guys. Um, I'm back from my pause in the middle of Jay's index card. Um, my index card is over. So Kennedy's boat, PT-109, gets hit by a Japanese destroyer. And he single-handedly, like, saves the entire crew. Swims them all to shore. Because he's amazing. He swims them to shore. Yeah, like he... Individually. Yep. A bunch of them he rescues. Okay. Then <sighs> he scratches a, a SOS into a coconut. And they get rescued. So look up that story. It's it's How a long the, story, but all right. look it up. Okay. I knew it was something about Kennedy getting a message out there to people. Whatever. <laughs> okay. okay. Right. Can we move on? We can move on. Jenny, who is, uh, of all the people in Little House, right? Let's think of the entire town. Who's the one person you would want to receive your SOS in a bottle? The one person nosy enough to care and actually read it and investigate it. I kind of have the opposite. I have, who finds it, Aim? Who finds this? <laughs> of course, Laura finds this. Bottle. Laura's the one person you want finding it. Laura and Lafayette Beetle, reverse Lafayette Beetle, find this. Because mm-hmm. reverse Lafayette Beetle's barking at it. He is. I had to put Nellie in her room at this point. So the bottle wash. Can we discuss that she's she's um, putting worms on a hook? And, and, like, it's difficult to put worms on a hook. It is. Because they're squirming around. And then she goes, next time I'm going to bring cheese and not impale your species. Like, okay. what is that right. about? Like, what kind of threat is that to the worm? So, this writing is garbage. So, Jen, the bottle washes up at Laura's feet and there's a note inside. I want to burn everything to the ground <laughs> in this writer's room. It says, if you find this, please be my friend. What? I don't even understand what? why they're doing... Like, why wouldn't she just put, I have an abandoned baby, please come and get it. Yeah, yeah. Help. Or please help me, I'm in the murder cabin. Yeah. Like, this made no sense pl- to me all. All of this could have been cut. We could have left... She gave birth. Because you do need a little bit of Anna's backstory to make the end satisfying. Sure. So you do that little bit in the front, cut to them finding the baby. Done. 
Later at home, Pa is restringing his fiddle, and Laura is studying the creek on the map. She's trying to solve the mystery of the bottle, and Laura's like, it would be nice to find a new friend, and Mary trolls her and is like, what if you go all the way up there and it's Nellie? She's like, be suspicious, Laura. And then Pa goes, yeah, then you'd really be up a, up the creek. And no one laughs. And he's like, I thought that was funny. He's, I thought that was funny. And Carrie's like, I didn't think it's funny. She's standing there looking like Damien. <laughs> okay, so by the way, I did look it up. I put this in the Mimi Beast. Michael Landon did not know how to play the fiddle. He faked it. But he did a pretty good job, I think. Pa played the fiddle. Pa did, yes. But Michael Landon oh. did not know how. How? I mean, you just move the bow up and down and they probably just put good music over it. I don't know. I thought he did a pretty good job. Jenny, don't forget, the two of us, I am the one experienced in string instruments. That's true. I do not play string instruments. Because that's the one test you failed and I passed. And I don't even remember <laughs> taking a test for that, but okay, <laughs> if you say so. Listen, in third grade, we had to take a musical aptitude test in order to place into violin for fourth and fifth grade. I passed. You didn't. I it's the one test. It. The one test. I, I don't think I wanted. I didn't want it to no. take saxophone. Mm-mm. I did not want to Mm-mm. take violin. No, not at Neil Armstrong. You weren't able to take saxophone. But I didn't want to take violin. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Nope. I, I passed. You failed. Okay. So back at murder cabin. <laughs> and how did that work out for your, for your violin career? It's, it was great. Timmy failed it too. I totally don't remember mm-hmm. this at all. But like I'm not a musician, so I'm not surprised. So back at murder cabin, Anna's sneaking around at night while crazy dad is sleeping. And I wrote, is the baby in the tent? How is the baby surviving? The baby's got to be in the tent. And I want to tell a very quick story here about... Your perception as a new mother as to how fragile your newborns are. So my girls were born like four weeks early because they were twins and that was common. But they didn't have to go to NICU or anything. Like they were fine. But they Mm -hmm. were a little yellow. Like their Billy Rubin count was Mm -hmm. a little low. So they had to go in those incubators. So the doctor, you know, again, first time doing this. I know nothing about them. If you tuned in a few episodes ago, you learned I didn't even know I had to bathe them. So then um, the doctor says to me, listen, you want to keep the house warm and make sure their temperatures are, are up. And I'm like, okay. So we get home. I jack the heat up oh, to like 80 degrees in the house. And everybody had come over to see them. And the funniest scene that still resonates so like deeply with me is Timmy and I come downstairs. I don't know what I was doing with them, but everybody's sweating in the house (laughs) and i had given dad the job of putting together the little baby chair and dad runs hot we come downstairs dad has his shirt off and he's he's like cursing like jesus christ it's hot in here You didn't need to turn your house into an incubator. Plus, we had the girls swaddled, so they were swaddled. And they were probably almost dying as wet. Timmy was finally like, we got to get a hold of this. <laughs> yeah. 70s, fine. 70s, good. <laughs> so, like, when I think about this baby out in the tent by the thing, I'm like, is it warm enough? Is it getting enough food? But there's culture. Well, first of all, this is a full-size baby, it sounds like. Right. But... There's cultures that put their newborns outside. I know, Russia. Like in Scandinavia and Russia mm-hmm. that like, like the, to get used to the cold, like they think the cold's That's good for fucking them. fucking so hardcore, like it, man. But I mean, this was also the 1800s. It's like, true. It's true. They were hard, more hardcore then. All right. So Jen, Anna is now cutting her hair and I wrote, is she giving herself crisis hair? No, it's even uh, worse. No. She's putting a lock of her hair in the bottle. All right. Timmy had the best line here. He goes, you don't want a friend who sends you their hair. <laughs> no. That's what, well, right. I'm, you know who would do this. Yes. You know whose playbook this is from. Yes. Sam? No. Oh. Well, yes. 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 That's, that is also true. <laughs> but whose playbook is this? I don't this? know. Who? Michelle Mudd's. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is Michelle Mudd's playbook. And one of Jenny's ex-boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the next day, Laura's obsessing over the friend as she and Mary walk home by the stream. Laura decides she's going to go look for her friend again, but she finds another bottle, this one with the hair in it. <laughs> oh, 
God. Laura reads the note and it says, my eyes are brown and this is my hair. Be my friend. Oh, my Why? God. Why? Jenny, I'm raising my hand. Yes. Why does the person need to know what color your hair is? Why didn't you just send the picture first? Right. Yeah, because okay. the picture right. kind of shows that. Back at Ingalls, Pa is drinking his night coffee when Laura comes in. Well, but you missed Laura was standing next to the creek staring at it. She was. Wait, This for is the how desperate for something to do. Like, <laughs> did she did she just invent Friendster? Like, she's like, I'll get a bottle and send you something You cannot back. put Laura on a mystery and then just expect her to be calm She is it. so desperate for a life to meddle in. No, she's just going to no. stand she next to that creek. She just is going to get to the root of this problem. So, Laura comes in and she's late and Pa's pissed. He's pissed. Finally, the hammer goes down. It was kind of hot. He was like yelling. <sighs> like, get upstairs. It was, it was, I don't know. I, I felt a lot of things when I saw this. Oh my scene. God. But, but my feelings ended in like horror and disgust when he said he was going <laughs> to paddle her. Yeah, right. Oh, Jenny. So you know what's going on with the paddling. There's like a current story in the news. Guys, we're recording this May 7th, so this is old news by the time you hear it. But a principal paddled a kid while the mother's watching. Very similar to Whisper Country. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. it's Whisper Country. And so I'm in a big Gen X group on Facebook, and there is a thread with... when When I first got on, it was 100 people, but now it's like thousands. Talking about how paddling has scarred them... How yeah. the kids wow. they knew that were paddled are either like dead or drug addicts or in jail or, you know, like this is trauma. Do not yeah. do this to your children ever. And if you know someone is doing it to your to other children, say something. You could do it anonymously. Just call it, get one of those voice disguiser things and be like, oh, okay. no, okay, kid right. is getting paddled. Okay. okay. Or, or, or email. Or message in a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> message in a bottle. Okay, so Paul's like yelling at her, threatening, and then he's like, do you have any idea how upset we get when you disappear? And I'm like, and the whole town has every to look day. for you? Yeah. It's like every day. Okay. So then I thought, Jenny, why are they letting Laura do this? Like, there could be a serial killer on the other end of this Yeah, bottle. I'm like, what if there was like gray beard hair in that bottle? <laughs> or pubes. <laughs> This is weird, but they, like, again, this is a very trusting True. time. Like, they don't have the the view of history that we have. So, like, they trust that it's not a crazy person. Jenny, it could be Johnny Cash on the other end of it. The James could gang. Be. Could be. I mean, we don't know. So, Paul tells Laura, if she's so upset, don't even look for the friend anymore. Like, don't even look for any more bottles. And then she thanks him for not whipping her. And he's like, I oh wasn't going to whip you. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that was an empty threat. Yeah, I think so. Now we see Laura milking a cow and rushing to go see her friend, and the cow's not producing milk, so Laura decides to pray, and boom, it works. Did you catch that she called the cow cow? Like, is that this cow's name? Because <laughs> they only call, ever call it cow. I don't know. Maybe they don't care enough about to give it a name. I mean, it's been living with them for years. <laughs> so she heads back into the house, tells Ma she's going fishing, she heads to the creek. When she's at the creek, she doesn't see anything and she starts to leave, but then she is fully derailed by a bullfrog who she wants to capture for Nellie's lunch pail. Exactly. I have a question about that. What was the plan there? Was she going to just carry it in her hand back to her house and then what, stored in her room until the next day? Yeah, people just touched frogs then. Well, I get touching the frog, fine. Like if Nellie's lunch pail was right there... That would make sense. But, like, how is this going to work? Jen, not much is making sense here. So then she finds a third bottle, Jen, with a note that includes a picture of Anna. And it says, this is me, be my friend. Oh, my God. I don't know. No further directions. No further calls to action. Like, what what does she need here? We're wasting weeks here with this. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, like this baby's like Mm -hmm. growing, meanwhile. So then Laura runs into town to show Paul and suckers him into helping her find her her friend. And he agrees, but he's like, you better tell your ma why you're missing church tomorrow. They're going to do this in Sago Church. I think that Paul just saw an opportunity to skip church. Me too. Me too. All right, next day we have Paul and Laura walking along the creek and we see Anna and she's watching them. They hear a baby cry. Paul and Laura rush to the hideout where the baby is in a basket with a note. It has like a little animal skin over it. The note reads, to my friend, please love me. I'm all alone. Okay, so this is where it could have picked up from the beginning. We could have missed all those bottles. 
Well, how would Laura know to come up the... Laura could just be fishing and hear a baby crying. Yeah, but it seems like they were, like, very remote and, like, far into the woods. Maybe. Like, the chance of someone's... I get the... I get sending one bottle. That's like... Sure. There's a baby up here. Come and get it. Or maybe you go all Moses and put the baby in a basket and float it down the river. Oh. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. That feels dangerous. Yeah. So Anna returns home after watching Laura take the baby, and her father grills her on where she's been. But Jen, she's got a new lease on life now that she doesn't have to sneak away and breastfeed her kid every 20 minutes. Right. So now she can cook and clean for her father like a real daughter. Oh, God. At the Ingalls, Carrie asks if she can see Laura's baby again, and Pa's like, um, it's not Laura's baby. <laughs> Laura, so Laura comes home with a stray baby. Mm-hmm. Is that the correct name for it? Yeah. Is that a sure. stray baby? Sure. A loose baby. <laughs> that baby's <laughs> that loose. baby's loose. Carrie is sleeping upstairs, and Laura and the baby are sleeping in Carrie's bed, and Carolyn walks her through how to feed the baby the goat's milk, and I wrote, this is fucking weird. Did you get what Pa said to Laura? What? After you go to sleep, she will. Aim. Mm-hmm. Would you like to comment mm-hmm. on that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Was that the problem? Were you just not sleeping? False. So then your, your infants were not sleeping? False. Like Charles ever did anything to raise any of these babies. <laughs> so Charles and Caroline are then sitting at the table and they're like talking about what to do with the baby. And Caroline's like, maybe she didn't. Or Charles goes, maybe she didn't want the child. And Carolyn. Thank you for the female perspective, so Caroline. So perceptive. Says, maybe someone didn't want her to have yeah. the baby. Well, that's, ding, ding, that's ding, why ding, you ding, have ding. a female at the table, because there's different perspectives. Yep. Charles says, let's just see. <laughs> Here's Charles' plan. Let's just see what God has in store for this. Yeah, let's just mm-hmm. see what what's, what happens with us raising this, Turn with our over to the nine-year-old daughter raising this infant. Yep. They decide to take the baby to see Doc Baker in the morning, and Laura doesn't want Carolyn to go because she wants to take care of the baby all alone. But she wants Pa to go with her. Mm-hmm. Laura has named her Grace, and I wrote, is no one concerned about this? This is super weird. Like, what is going on? There's a weird dynamic. I'm going to tell you something right now. It's super weird, but this is right out of my playbook. Why? I would have done something like this. Yeah, you totally would have done something like this. I was obsessed with babies. Like, I wanted children all my life. You totally would have I was totally into them. I would have done it. I would have just pretended like I didn't see it in the order. You would have just kept walking past it when you heard it crying. (laughs) Jenny would be like, been, what is that? What do I hear? Oh, I can't hear that. Jenny's like, what's that annoying bird? I don't know what that noise is. That's a weird bird. <laughs> now we see the Olsons and Willie has been looking at corset ads in the catalog. <laughs> Harriet's <laughs> flipping out and she's trying to like make Nels discipline him. And Nels like, you know, he's not really into this not disciplining it. Oh. Willie's like, I was looking at candy. And Harriet's like, what does candy have to do with corsets? It's pretty great. It's pretty yeah, great. it's pretty good. Then Charles and Laura come in with the baby, and they don't explain anything. They're just they like, where's, where's Doc anything. Baker? <laughs> and we learn Doc Baker's out of the office, but he'll be back. And Miss Olson's like, so Laura leaves. And Miss Olson's like, oh, Charles, whose baby is like, that? Like, what? What the hell? <laughs> and Charles trolls her and tells her it's Laura's baby. Now, Harriet. Do you really think you would have missed that pregnancy? Yeah, seriously. Like, that shit would have been all over town yeah. the minute it happened. So Harriet's on, like, who on earth would do this to Laura? And then she looks out the window, and she sees Willie and Laura talking, and Willie's kissing the baby. And she <gasps> thinks it's Willie's. He's, like, 12. These kids, I mean, yeah, these kids are young. Yeah. But you know what, Jen, at that time, like, you know, you were married 15, 16 years old. But so. you had to be through puberty for that yeah, to happen. Yeah, I don't happen. think Willie's through puberty. Yeah. Like, that's, that is required. Yes. <laughs> now Laura is with Grace at Doc Baker's, and Baker says it's going to be hard to, the baby's totally healthy. Well, he listens to the heartbeat and says it's alive. Yeah, and he's like, looks good to me. Looks good. Baby's perfect. It's fine. Yeah. So then he's like, it's going to be hard to find a home for a baby girl. Like, a baby boy is more oh useful. God. Okay, one-child policy, okay. Baker. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Charles says they need to figure out where this baby came from. And he, him and Baker Can I just say that I feel like moms would feel differently about that? Like, they probably want a couple daughters around. Yeah. Because, like, taking... I mean, you had to do all the laundry by hand then. you Like, you had to make clothes. Jim, we're talking from the male perspective. They don't give oh, a God. fuck. Okay, so Charles and Baker get out the map and they're looking. And Baker's like, Boswell is the nearest town upstream. 
Why don't you take the picture and show it around up there? Why haven't we ever heard of Boswell? We've never heard of it. Never, never heard again. of it. <laughs> yep. It's the like appearing and vanishing town. Mm-hmm. Now we're back at home and Laura's calling up God and asking him for a favor again. That that pa doesn't find the mother. Because yeah, she wants to keep the baby. What is the plan? She tells God, like, look into my heart. You can see I really want this. And Paul overhears this and is kind of alarmed. Jen. He should be alarmed. Could you imagine mom if we were doing this? Oh my God, she would have a heart She attack. used to freak out if we just mentioned we wanted kids eventually someday. Like, you never said <laughs> that, but I said that. She would have had a heart attack. She's like, Laura's like, I could do anything Ma could do. Ma's a seasoned mother of three. No, you can't, dude. Bake me a pie in 10 minutes. Yeah. From scratch. Let's say you do that. Yeah. All right, so then Charles heads off to Boswell, and he's tracking down the town reverend. And we find the preacher. Charles shows him the picture, and the rev recognizes her immediately. Can I just say back to Laura for a second? Mm -hmm. This is, you know, I was like, what the hell is Laura doing? This is crazy. But you know what? This is exactly the kind of project Laura needs. I think the whole town needs Laura to have this project. (laughs) The baby? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, she would be out of everyone's business because she'd be so Yes, she'd be so busy. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. she wouldn't have time to get, get anyone almost killed. Yep. So the reverend recognizes Anna immediately. And he says her and her dad moved away six or eight months ago. And he's like, the dad was a huge dick. Like, he's a weirdo. Yeah. And I, was, <laughs> I found the reverend very refreshing. Did you? Yeah, I liked, I liked him. Now, Jen, he says there was a boy, Bobby Harris. He might know. And Charles and the Rev head over to talk to Bobby Harris. Now, I want to talk about Bobby Harris a minute. Well, first, can we just talk about the Reverend is also the fire chief. Yes, he is. And Pa's talking to him as the fire chief. And and then he tells him about, he's asked him, like, what's going on? And he's like, I'm asking as the Reverend. Mm -hmm. And so Pa, of course, tells the truth Mm -hmm. and tells him about the baby and everything. And he's like, I better get my Reverend, like, dress on (laughs) and go over and 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 help help you with this. Jen, I want to talk about Bobby Harris. Okay. I would like to announce that I have found the man we need to play Paw in the prequel. Oh, you think Bobby Harris? Bobby Harris is so hot. Oh, my God. (laughs) I literally had to look him up to make sure he was not under 18 before I voiced my love for this guy. (laughs) He's 25. Fair Um, game. He is handsome. Those two people have to be like in their, they're like in their 20s. He could, he could play Paw. Okay. He's got the hair. I mean, guys, watch this episode just for some Did Bobby he ever Harris. do anything after this? No. Okay. No, but he could be. So then I was like, he needs to be Charles in the prequel. But then I realized this was 40 years ago, so he'd be 65 now. <laughs> yeah. So he could play. So then I thought, well, he could play Pawn a reboot. Sure. Yeah. Yes. He and Melissa Gilbert, Gilbert could be Charles and Carolyn Ingalls. Okay, are you done casting the reboot? <laughs> I'm done. Netflix, call me up. You know my number. <laughs> so they go over to Bobby's, and Bobby says he proposed to Anna, and her father took her away that same day. The father told Bobby that he would kill him if he ever saw him again. And Bobby's like, there's nothing but hate in that old man. And then the Rev pretty much makes Bobby admit that they banged. Well, like that, but that's what he has to get to the bottom of, of like... Is this kid yours? Right, because I think there's like some weird, like, is it the father's? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I agree. We're getting some vibes there, guys. So Charles breaks it to Bobby that Anna had a baby and Bobby, oh, I wrote Bobby should play young Charles. He's so cute. Nice. <laughs> so, oh, he's got a real nice jawline I've written here. Oh. Bobby says they have to find Anna and he heads out with Charles to find her. So it's clear that this is his kid. It's clear. So they search for five days, and they haven't found anything. Five days. Five days. I wrote Bobby is getting down. I don't know what I mean by that. Do I mean like he's starting to get upset and sad? Maybe. Because he's not getting down. I wish he was, but he's not. (laughs) And then Pa's drinking. Like, how much coffee does this man drink? He drinks it day and And night. And how's he getting this coffee? How's he getting this coffee? Like, yeah, they have nothing packed. Nope. Nope. They have like a little roll, a little sleeping roll. That's it. Yep. Is there like a pound and a half of coffee in there and a, and a coffee pot? Is there I like an artisan it. coffee shop halfway in the woods there? 
Maybe. So, Jen, is artisan coffee a thing? No. Artisanal coffee? Okay, thank you. So then uh, Bobby tells Charles, look, dude, no matter what happens, I want to raise my daughter. Okay. And Charles is like, okay, now Laura's going to be pissed off. So now we see the father, and he's hunting. And he... Well, and pause, like, five days off of work was worth being able to get rid of this kid. Yeah, 100%. So he sees the the father spies Bobby Davis and Charles and flies back to murder cabin. He starts questioning Anna where she was during her long absences and he's screaming at her saying the devil must have brought Bobby here and then they start praying. Then he's he's like throwing the lantern against the wall and sets the cabin on fire. He's going to murder the two yeah, of them. Yeah, he won't let her out of the house and says since they are sinners they need to burn. She acting defensively and appropriately pushes him and he hits his head on the fireplace oh stool yeah. fireplace something. something he gets knocked out and anna struggles but manages to pull him out of safety why why is she saving him i don't know i would have just ran out that door Me too. so then i wrote well at least charles and hottie bobby will see the fire at least yeah so they do and they head towards the smoke and i want to talk about the discrepancy between lighting here Super dark in the murder cabin. Like, I thought it was night. Yeah. And then total daylight. Maybe it was night. I don't know. Did she sit there for overnight? I don't think so. I don't know. Because they see the fire in the daytime. Right, but it's just kind of smoldering at that point. But they didn't see it before that? Like, they must be seeing it when it started. I don't know. I don't know. So... Charles and Bobby see the smoke, they head towards it, and when they get there, Anna and her dad are sitting amongst a pile of smoldering ashes. And Bobby and Anna run to each other while Charles tends to the father. She confesses she pushed the father. Anna recognizes Charles, asks about the baby. Then she says she never told her father about the baby and that she was terrified. I have to say... She's in front of a burned down house, leaning over her dad's body, like, red flag, Bobby, red flag. (laughs) Like, like maybe an unstable chick. (laughs) Then I wrote, then she collapses into a paw on Bobby's sandwich. (laughs) Bobby takes Anna back to his house while Charles waits with the dad. And so the dad, like, he comes to and he's like, where's my daughter? And Charles is like, she's gone, dude. She's gone. And he just, he like, I would have, looking at the house burned to the ground, I would have interpreted that as she's dead. Yeah, no, no. So Charles gives him a strong dose of truth. He's like, you're an asshole, blah, blah, blah. And the dad is like, I don't want to be rescued. Leave me here. This is it. I'm done. And Charles is like, I'll pray for you. Is that like the 19th century version of like, peace out? I think it's the 19th century version of good day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that is the 19th century. So now we see Anna at the best possible place she can be, the Ingalls. I was so happy to see this girl at the Ingalls house. Yeah, Like getting fed by Carolyn. Yep. I was just so happy to see that. Laura's getting the baby ready and Anna is thanking Carolyn for how she treated her. And how she forgave her for what she did. And Carolyn actually Mm. uses the Bible appropriately and says, I am not going to be the one to cast the first stone. Because clearly they had sex out of wedlock. Yeah, right. Which a lot of people have a big problem with. I think she was referring to like, I abandoned my baby. No, I think she was referring to like, I had this baby out of wedlock. Mm, Maybe. I thought it was I abandoned the baby. Well, probably a little of both, but... Laura is crying as she gets Grace ready, and Anna and Laura have a sweet goodbye, but Anna makes it super weird by telling Laura she wants the baby to know what her other mother looked like. I want to talk about something. Babies don't remember shit. So I don't remember shit. So before you go... I'm in my 40s. Before you go dragging your baby to the Philadelphia Zoo on a Sunday... Before you go dragging your baby to local carnivals and stuff, before you go paying seven grand to go to di- fly your whole family to Disney World when your kids are four, they're not going to remember any of it. Well, I assume that the parents are doing that because they want to and they have no other place to put the baby. No. I wouldn't assume no. it's because the baby. Just stay home, save your money. Start okay. start living life with your kid when they're like six or seven. Maybe they'll Okay, so something. just stay home for six years? Yes. Like be quarantined yes. for six years? Yes. 
So this baby is not going to remember the three days that Laura was her other But I feel like the mother will remember being six years in the house. So (laughs) Maybe. All right. So then Anna says she's going to keep the baby named Grace. And then we have a Laura voiceover, Jen. Did she thank Laura for being a nosy SOB? No. (laughs) Then we have a voiceover. I never saw Grace again, but I never forgot her because I learned what it was like to love a baby. All because a bottle floated down the creek and into my heart. Oh, God. God. I'm going to forgive her for that because she's 12. Okay. Okay. All right, Jen. So whose fault is this? Whose fault is it that Paul lost six days of pay and two people nearly escaped death because of a chain of events that Laura kicked off? Laura. No, it isn't. Yes, Laura, Laura almost killed those people. Stimuli. She almost killed those people. Those people almost died because of a series of events that Laura kicked off. Laura was reacting to stimuli. Laura could have just ignored that bottle. Then the baby wouldn't have been found and still be out in the woods. So what? <laughs> you don't care God. about those people. <laughs> those people will blink out of existence in the next episode. That's true. She would have had to go, she would have had to come up with another plan, which probably would have been go get my baby and go to that town and find that guy. That's what she should have done. True. So I'm going to say it's the father's fault. Well, I mean. And I'm going to get into that my why. So now's a good time to go. So at the end end of every episode, Jenny and I look back on the episode and think about a theme or a lesson or some kind of scar that we took from it. That maybe influenced us or made a mark on our generation in some way um, currently. So we call it our why, and it's designed to answer the phrase, Gen X, this is why. So Jenny, what is your why for this episode? This is why, as a generation, we believed in things like kismet and karma and other pseudoscience. This whole episode reeks of it. All this coincidence and these storylines are insane. Serendipity? So like Laura happens. Yeah, like all that kind of shit. Like we believe that like those things... We're real. Like, if it's meant to happen, like, that's all crap. Don't it's all you feel bullshit. like that's derived from religion, though? Yeah. Well, but it's, yeah. I mean, pseudoscience. You could right. call it religion also. Right. Yeah. But the, these are kind of the non-religious versions of them. Well, I mean, they're derived from other religions, but. Do you believe that in karma? No. You know, mom, like, it's her religion. I believe, I believe that if you do bad things. You know, if you have a bad energy about you or you do bad things, like, that you'll be miserable and your life will be bad, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, you know, if, you bring, if you're a good person, you do good things, you'll feel good about yourself, your life will be better. But we see evidence against that all the time. I mean, we don't know the inner workings of how these people feel. True. But, like, if you believe in karma that people get what's coming to them, like, there's so much evidence against that. Like, think about it. Think about the people who deserve a comeuppance that never get it. That's true. I'm a karma believer. I don't believe in it. I believe in I, it. I believe that, that you reap the consequences of things you do, mm-hmm. but that it's not some magical force that is keeping track of, like, where, where's your karma at today? Like, mm-hmm. hmm. I, I'm, like, weird to do things because I'm like, am I going to attract bad karma? Well, but I see that, and I guess that, that goes back, I mean, karma's comes from a religion Mm -hmm. i guess that goes back to like a religious thing of like is there an external thing that's going to punish me to do if i do this instead of just being like this is the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do i don't think it's a punishment i don't necessarily fear punishment but but you are like you're you're fearing bad karma but i think i'm aware of the idea that if you put good out you will have a good life Yes, but I don't think that's an external force that's measuring that. Like, I don't, you're right. I don't necessarily believe that there's this energy that's going to come back. Like, there's a karma meter somewhere with my name on it. But I do believe that you have to keep your energy good. Yeah. You, if you do good things, you'll feel good about yourself. That doesn't relate to bad things aren't going to happen to you, though. Right. You know what I mean? Like, those two things are not implicitly connected. I agree. All right, Jen, so I have two whys, and I'm going to read the first one is a little heavier. This is why you need to love your children unconditionally. Who didn't love their child? Oh, the The father. father. You scorning them will not solve anything. It will just back them into a corner when they are desperate, and they'll do something to harm themselves or others. 
Yep. This father could have loved his daughter through this, and they could have worked together to give the baby up for adoption if he didn't think that she was ready to raise it. Well, and the father is taking out what the mother did on the daughter. Yeah. But imagine how different her life would have been if he was like, okay, this happened. Now we need yes. to work through it. I mean, how it. different the world would be if people yeah. felt like this. Like, yeah. you're just backing your kids into a corner. Like, yeah. the mistake, you know, ask yourself, is the mistake, can it be undone by me yelling at my kid? Probably not. No. So just accept it, move through it. But you have to understand, at least from what they're portraying in this. I mean, obviously it's a fictional portrayal, but... He's so steeped in, like, what is right and wrong based on religion that, like, if you think, like, the devil inhabits your daughter because she's... Like, that is a hard thing to overcome. We're working with some mental illness. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. My second one is, this is why you need to steer clear of babies. Because they suck you into their (laughs) cuteness. (laughs) Well, isn't there actually a, a... It's like a a physiological thing that happens with babies. Is that just with the parents, though? So I I have two very, very different reactions when I see babies. One is, oh, my God, I want to take that baby. I want to kidnap it and hold it. The second one is, oh, God, I could never have a baby again. So I have two. There's a war within me when I see a really cute baby. I think that there's some kind of physiological reaction in humans to their own child. Sure. That stops us from killing our young. Maybe. I mean, it's like people it's, done it's it. It's some kind of hormone that releases. Yeah. That helps you cope with having an infant. I just think when you're out in Target or something and you see like a little adorable baby, stay away from it because you're going to want another you one. You don't have to tell me twice. Yeah. <laughs> I'll walk on the other side of the Jenny, store. One of these days that. you're going to leave your apartment. You're going to come home. It's going to be filled with cats and babies. <laughs> I don't hate cats. I'm just allergic and to them. And then I'm going to lock the door on the other side. <laughs> you're just going to get a, you're just going to drive around and get a bunch of babies. <laughs> what would that car ride be like? <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jen. So why don't you tell everybody what's coming up next? So next coming up from this is on the 27th of May is Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter on Patreon. Okay. And next week we're looking at The Inheritance. Which, the description reads, Charles inherits the estate of a wealthy uncle. Mm. Within 24 hours, the family suddenly becomes Harriet Olson's best pal. Of course. They are pressured to make various contributions throughout the community and even receive newspaper articles offer, a newspaper article offer, hold on, and even receive newspaper article offers to chronicle this tremendous change in their life. Things get worse when this newfound fortune threatens the family's relationships with their real friends. Oh, wow. Okay. So that will be dropping next week. And then Portrait of a Teenage Shoplifter, guys. If you're not on our Patreon, get over there and listen to the brilliant after-school specials that we have been covering. I mean, they are amazing. And then we also have, we're going to drop Tough Turf finally on Patreon on June 10th. And then, Aim, do you want to talk a little bit about the the, uh, questions and the anniversary edition? So, yeah, what we're going to be doing is our our one-year anniversary is coming up in June. So what we want to do is a special, like, Mimi Q&A. So we are going to have a form, and it's going to be linked everywhere on our socials. And we're inviting you guys to ask questions. It could be about anything. And then Jenny and I will pick 10 or 15 of them and answer them in a live, no, in no. a, in a one-year anniversary special episode. <laughs> In a highly curated and edited. <laughs> um, yeah, highly curated, ask me anything. And we have a very special prize. So, Jenny, you did not get to work yet. Yeah, I know. I have to. I keep forgetting to mention Tell it. Tell them what the prize is. The prize is going to be our dad is going to do a, paint, a tiny drawing or painting, I don't know what he's going to do yet, of the drama barn. Mm-hmm. Yep, and it'll be signed by him, original piece, mailed to you and how we're going to choose that winner is we're just going to put all the names into a, a virtual hat and just pick randomly anyone who submits a question so look for that um we'll be posting that survey or form i mean uh starting next week 
All right. Thanks a lot, guys, and we'll see you soon. Hi, everyone. Amy here. If you'd like to support our podcast, please consider leaving us a review wherever you listen. To send us an email or connect with us on social, please visit us at genxthisiswhy.com. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.